The subject of today was actually the fourth most requested subject out of all the people that we polled to get ready for this series. And it was the subject of finances. Everybody say finances. People were asking like, hey, how do I do finances God's way? Or is there a biblical way to do finances? And some of you have already started getting tense, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that a little bit. So what, what I decided to do is I was, I was going to wait and do that at the end of the series. That way you can't not come back next Sunday. Because we're just going to talk about finances God's way. We're going to learn something about how to treat our money, how to let our money work for us, and how to let God's plan for our lives I tweeted this out this morning. How many of you know that God wants you to have fun and enjoy your life? How many of you did not know that? Okay, some of you did not realize that. The rest of you are like, I don't know. Is this a trick question? I don't want to ask. But here's the deal. I want you to understand this. God wants you to have fun in life. He wants you to enjoy your life. Religion says the other thing. Religion says it's supposed to be boring, but God's like, no, I want you to have fun. I want life to be enjoyable. In fact, I want to give you life that's more abundant than anything you've ever imagined. And that's not talking about eternity. That's talking about right now. So if that's the case, our finances actually play into that. So let's dig right into this. We're going to be talking about God's financial plan. And here's, here's where we start. Everything begins on the subject of finances God's way. It all begins with trust. Everybody say trust. If you don't trust God, you're not going to believe anything that he says. We talked about this a little bit in this series. Trust doesn't just happen. It begins with the choice that you and I make to actually extend trust to God. But then we have to start trusting him with something small and let him prove himself reliable. And I promise you, he will never let you down. He will never forsake you. He'll never leave you alone. If you give him a little bit of an option, if you give him a little bit of room, he will prove himself every time. So it all begins with trust. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at uh, two verses of scripture here. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Popular verse of scripture, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It begins with trust. If you want God to direct the paths of your life, you have to start off trusting him. And if there is a godly way to treat finances, if there is a godly way for us to talk about money in church without everybody freaking out, thinking I'm going to pass the offering plate, we'll do that at the end of service. I'm not going to do it right now. But if there's a right way to do this, it has to begin with us giving God a chance to prove himself real. Y'all, does that sound good to you this morning? Anybody ready to learn to trust God? All right, here we go. Sermons about money do exactly what some of you are already experiencing. It, it tends to make people uncomfortable. It, because when a preacher starts talking about money immediately, and by the way, I do the same thing, so you're not weird. You're, you're normal. Welcome to earth. You're a normal human being. When we hear a preacher start talking about money, immediately every horror story that we've heard about churches, preachers, and money start flashing through our head. Our world is very small. TV, internet, will really get all the horror stories out to everybody that fast. Like something bad happens and within 10 minutes, Facebook has told 8,500,000 people about it. So there's nothing wrong with you immediately thinking of a horror story. But I want you to know this. Those horror stories are not God's reality. 
Just because some people who claim to be God's people mess up with money or they do something wrong or they mistreat money, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It also doesn't mean that God's not trustworthy. Sometimes we just got to be careful with the people that we trust. But God is always trustworthy. Amen? He says, I'm not a man that I should lie. If I make you a promise, I'm going to stand by it. Amen? And the reason that talking about money at church makes us uncomfortable is because people are convinced that God wants your money. And what that really means is they're convinced that the church wants to get in your pocketbook or your wallet. I'm, how old am I? I just said pocketbook. Like half of y'all have never even heard the term pocketbook. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ray Ray. I appreciate that. Ray Ray, don't, he don't say amen often, but every now and then it's just like, boom. We're convinced that God wants our cash. Y'all, God doesn't want anything from you. But he's got something for you. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. But he's got so much for you. And it all begins with you beginning to trust him over something so small and something so insignificant in the reality of God's world. And we've talked about the tensions that are created with our questions about God. And and some of you are experiencing this now. So I want to relieve that tension. There's a tension that happens in all of us when we talk about money at church. And that tension settles in. And when you are watching late night TV and you're trying to go to sleep and you flip over to those like 12 channels right up there at the top of, of, the, of the cable guide and you're like, yeah, give me something to watch. Oh, that's funny. I'm not going to watch that. Oh, that's scary. I'm not going to watch that. And they start talking about money. We start freaking out. And then we come to church and the pastor says, hey, let's talk about godly finance. And everybody's like, he's going to steal my money. Here's the deal. I don't want your money. I don't need your money. God is my provider. And the reason God's my provider is because I've learned to trust Him in every situation. And I've learned to put Him first. But the tension that we feel when we talk about money at church is this. Living as our own provider versus placing our trust in Jesus. Living thinking, hey, I've got this. It's my job to meet every need in my life. And if we approach God in that way, we're going to get that tension. We're going to get uncomfortable If we approach God thinking that, oh, no, I've got to do all the work and he's just going to sit on the sideline. No, that's not the way this works. We've got to learn to trust him as our provider. And for you and I to to discover that truly abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10, we've got to be willing to make a choice to trust Jesus. Everything in your relationship with God. Let me, let me get off of finances for a second and just talk about relationship with Jesus all just in a general sense. Everything in our relationship with Jesus comes down to a personal individual choice that you and I have to make in every circumstance. You've got to trust that there is this entity that you can't see who died on the cross for you, rose again over 2,000 years ago and wants to fill you with His Spirit. And when you believe that and you make the choice to to trust Him in that area, the Bible says that we receive salvation. But y'all, that's a choice that we make. If we don't make the choice to believe that, we never receive salvation. And in the same way when it comes to our finances, we can't allow God to be trustworthy until we make the choice to let Him prove Himself to us. And we've got to allow Him to not only be a part of our eternity, but we need to allow God to be the biggest part of our right now. So let's dig in here real quick. And I promise you, I'm not going to hold you long. 
I think it's a negative to do a four-hour sermon on finances. I think everybody would leave. But here's what I'm going to do. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to give you the five steps of God's financial plan. There's five steps, and I'm going to... Here's what I did. I didn't give you all the scriptures in your notes because they're too many, but I promise you, as I go through these five, I'm going to give you the reference, and we gave you plenty of room on your sermon notes to write down the references. And here's what I'm challenging you to do. In your own time, go to the Bible, read these verses of Scripture. If I'm wrong, come see me. And I promise you, I will stand up here next Sunday and say, I was wrong last Sunday and I I misrepresented God. But if you read these Scriptures and you see that I'm right, I'm going to challenge you, put God first and watch what happens. Is that that a deal? Everybody with me? All right, here we go. The five steps of God's financial plan. Number one is tithing. Everybody say tithing. Tithing is not what we give at church. You may return tithe at church, but tithe is not some random, just arbitrary number that we put on next to a dollar and say, this is my tithing. That's not tithing. The word tithe literally means a tenth. It means a tenth. And in the biblical context, it literally means the first tenth. It's the principle of first fruit. It's the principle of putting God first in our finances. And the first resistance that we get to this is, yeah, that's Old Testament. That was a part of the law. That's for the people that are very scholarly. But here's the problem. God put the the principle of tithing he instituted about a thousand years before he ever gave the law. And then the next resistance that we get is people say, well, Jesus never talked about tithing. Well, here's the deal. This is Jesus, not this book. But the text in this book is the Word of God. That Jesus is the Word of God. That's what John chapter 1, verse 1 down to verse 15 teach us. If it's in the book, He said it because it's Him. But just in case anyone missed that, in the book of John, roughly around chapter 19, Jesus said this, you should tithe. But don't forget the weightier matters of the law either. So Jesus was saying, look, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. The reason that it freaks us out is because we don't understand the the principle. And and y'all, here's the deal. When I talk about tithing, it's not self-serving for me. It's teaching you a principle that will literally change every part of your life. You're like, well, I'm not sure I believe all that. Cool, no problem. Trust God in some other area and say, show me what you mean on that. You say, Monty, are you telling me if I don't tithe, I'm going to hell? No, I'm not Jesus. I'm not putting anyone in hell. And by the way, Jesus doesn't put anyone in hell either. People choose to walk away from him, and they end up taking the reward that is reserved for the devil. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. I know religion may say something different, but that's not what God said. I'm not here to tell you what's going to happen to you if you don't. Here's what I'm, I want to teach you this. Trust God. Give him a chance to prove himself. If it doesn't work, you haven't lost anything. But if it does work, you've gained a whole lot. Amen. The purpose of tithe, and I'm sure people have wondered about this, but the purpose of tithe is not just so there's money in the bank for a church. The purpose of tithe is to support the local church, but also to advance the kingdom of God. What the local church is supposed to do is collect the tithing, take care of the local needs of that church community, and then use what's left over to bless ministries and efforts around the world so that the kingdom of God is advanced. That's the purpose of tithing. That is what you see in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. That's what it's used for. Tithe, by the way, is not given. Tithe is not paid. 
Because tithe is not part of our budget and tithe doesn't belong to us. The Bible says that tithe belongs to God. It is, it is God's tithe. It's not ours. He gives it to us to see what we're going to do with it. We don't give God's tithe. We don't pay our tithes. We return God's tithe to Him. Notice the difference. When you start looking at it different, your whole world begins to open up to a whole new way of living. I'm going to trust God because He trusted me. God, here's your portion back. And here's what He promises. If you'll return to me my portion, I'll take the 90 and do more through you with the 90 than you could have ever done with the 100. That's also a biblical principle. And you say, well, where do I return my tithes? I'm, I, I watch a late night TV show or I, there's a local humanitarian organization. Y'all, all those things are great. If you're into those, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return my tithe there. Y'all, that's not how it works. We're clearly instructed in the Word of God that our tithe is returned at the place that we worship. Because that's where we are being spiritually fed. When we go to the house of God and we receive the bread of life, which is the word of God, the Bible teaches us that we are supposed to return God's tithe at the place we receive a blessing so that there will be food in the house of God for someone hungry who's going to show up later. That's why we return here. If we go beyond that and we bless another ministry around the city or we bless another ministry around the world, not a thing wrong with that, but that's not tithe, that's offering. Y'all with me this morning? Hang on, we're getting to the good stuff. Just just bear with me in this. This is the foundation. Oftentimes, the people who have the biggest resistance to returning God's tithe are the ones that require the most ministry from a local church. I need need to talk with the pastor. I need a meeting with the pastor. Can I sit down and talk with you? Hey, I need you to spend 14.3 hours with me walking through my issue. And by the way, that's our job. We're supposed to do that. And we don't begrudge that. But oftentimes, the people that have the most resistance to tithe are the people that need my ministry the most. That ought to teach you something. Stop trusting me. I'm a man. I'm going to let you down. I'm going to say something and you're going to get offended. I'm not going to mean it, but you're going to get offended. I'm going to do something you don't agree with and you're going to be like, I'm out of here. It happens. It's life. I don't get mad when people do that. Hey, that's life. I'm a human being. I'm going to screw up. But let me tell you this. I have never died on the cross for you. And I never will. <laughs> I guarantee and God tell you that I'm not going to do that for you. You're awesome, but not that awesome. Jesus died on the cross for you. Trust him. Put him first in your life and let him be your provider. Here's the deal. Like, Why is the money so important? Because it's so important to us. We think it's the most important thing in our life, but it's not. Our families, our children, our sustenance, being able to live, being able to enjoy life is far more important than earning money. So that's why we need to put God first and let him multiply, let him expand, let him stretch what he has already promised. Just trust him, try him. If he's a liar, I'll give you all your money back. I guarantee you he's not going to lie to you. That's not my God, amen? But Jesus said in Matthew 6, if you'll put my kingdom first, I'll take, all, I'll take care of all of your earthly needs. There's nothing you're going to have to want for because you put me first. You're like, Monty, I tried it and it didn't work. Did you really try it? Or did you hold back a portion? Did you hedge your bet saying, well, just in case? 
Anybody know what I'm talking about on the just in case? Like, I'm going to trust God, maybe. I'm, I'm going to put God almost first. I'm going to put God first, second, second, second. That's what I mean, second. I'm going to put God second. Y'all, we can't do that. Because when we do this, we separate ourselves from what God wants to do, to do in our lives and what he wants to do through our lives. Amen? So let, let's, let's move off of tithing. That's step one. Let's go to step two. Step two in God's financial plan is providing. Everybody say providing. providing. God says that a, a, a person who doesn't provide for their family is worse than an infidel. That's in 1 Timothy 5.8. And if you're not taking notes, you ought to take notes. Make sure I'm telling you what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 5.8. A person who doesn't provide for their family is worse than an unbeliever. That doesn't mean unbelievers are bad people. What that means is you're in a worse state spiritually than a person who doesn't even acknowledge there's a God. If you're saying my family comes second or my family comes last to my own personal enjoyment, God says, you're worse off than someone that doesn't even acknowledge that I exist. Providing is a big part. Of the, and in fact, in, in our responsibility with that 90% that God trusts to us, providing for our family is our most fundamental duty. That, that, that when he gives that to us, the most fundamental thing that you and I need to do with what we've earned and what God has entrusted to us is provide for those who depend on us. And y'all, what he wants us to do is use those resources, take that 90, budget it out, do it right, put yourself, get yourself super disciplined, make you a budget, set you some goals, put aside some money for a rainy day. And in Louisiana, that's like almost every other day. So you got to put aside some money for a rainy day. Do all those things, but provide for your family. And by the way, let me just say this, regardless of what the radio and TV personalities say about how to budget, don't make the budget so tight that your family can't even squeak when they walk. Because that's a good way to suck the life out of your family. If you've got to work all the time, you're not doing it God's way because you're not trusting Him. And if you've got to work so much that you can't be in the house of God, and if you've got to work so much that you can't be in community with other believers, baby, you're doing it wrong. You're trusting in you. And let me just challenge you. Put him first and watch how he says, you know what? You need a day off. Let me just take care of this and fill you full of myself. That was tight, but it's still right. Some of y'all didn't care for that, but it's still in the book. Amen? I'll preach a little harder next Sunday. Y'all just come back on that one, but... Let's go to number three. Step number three in God's financial plan is blessing. Everybody say blessing. blessing. we got to know this. God is generous. Everybody say God is, God is generous. So when we receive his generosity, which is salvation, we actually receive his generous nature. You can't call yourself a believer if you're not generous. You can't say, I believe in God and I've received salvation, but you ain't getting nothing from me. Because you haven't received his nature. But when you receive his nature, which is salvation, when he wipes away everything from your past and he takes care of everything in your future and he pours his amazing grace out on you, you can't help but live a life of generosity. Somebody know what I'm talking about this morning. And and, in the Bible, here's what we learn. We're, We're supposed to give to provide for the poor. We're supposed to help our neighbors out. Who's my neighbor? The person who needs help. If we read the story of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament, that's what we learn. We're supposed to give to help our neighbors out. And we're also supposed to be generous to be a blessing to other believers. 
This is what generosity is all about. Society teaches us something different, though. Society says that we have to use what we have to benefit our own life. Society says if if you don't do with your money what you need to do with your money, you're not going to have enough for you, so why don't you keep it to yourself? Society is teaching us that. That is the world's way of thinking, but y'all want you to know this. Generosity is a characteristic of godliness. When you come in contact with Jesus Christ and you receive salvation, you can't help but but be generous, amen? So let me break this down. God's word shows us that we are blessed to be a blessing. This is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm saying these slow so you can write them down. The second thing that we're supposed to be generous is by giving to the poor. Proverbs 19, verse 17. And then the Bible also teaches us that we are to be generous on every occasion. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. Here's the deal. If, if, if I went too fast and you couldn't write fast enough, come see me after church and I will email you my exact notes so you have everything. Because I don't want anyone to miss this principle. Because if we get the principle of generosity, God will not only change our lives, but he can change the world through us. Amen? So, so here's what happens. We return God's tithe to him. And then he begins to bless us. That's the promise. You put me first, I will bless you. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed when you come. You'll be blessed when you go. You'll be blessed at the table. You'll be blessed at the store. Your kids are going to be blessed. Your grandkids are going to be blessed. All God's children are going to be blessed because you put me first. Amen? That was kind of the ghetto version. We kind of stretched that a little bit, but that's okay. He says, I'm going to bless you. And when I bless you, out of your abundance... I want you to step out of your comfort and go make the world a better place. Here's the problem. So many believers are trying to make the world a better place without putting God first, and they're running out of money. And they're wondering, oh my God, I'm supposed to make the world a better place, but I don't have the finances. If that's your case, you're not putting God first. Put God first, and the budget is never a problem. Don't make God a part of your budget. Put God in front of your budget. Build your budget off of what's left. Mm, That's good teaching. Whether you like it or not, that's good stuff. Make God a part of that budget of, of what you've got and watch how he uses you to bless the world around you and make a difference. If you want to see change in your world, put God first and watch how he uses you to affect change around the world. Amen. Number four, the fourth step. The fourth step is building. Everybody say building. Building is how we leave an inheritance for future generations. And let me just say this, because I know some of you are planners. Anybody here a planner? I'm like Mr. Planner Britches. i got to plan everything. I like plan out a year in advance and then mess it all up because I forgot to plan to keep my plan. But anyway, that's another, that's another series. But if you're a planner with your finances, y'all, that's awesome. Be a planner. Make a plan with your with what God's blessed you with. If you're working, set some goals. You need to set some goals. You need to have a reason to, to work through some stuff. And if you've got children, make a plan to leave them an inheritance. Make a plan. You know, if you don't have life insurance, do what it takes to get you some life insurance. If you don't have some retirement goals set aside, some of you are like, how do you even spell retirement? I don't have a clue. You know, whatever you've got to do, think about what's coming after you. Don't live just for yourself. Make a plan. By the way, that's a biblical godly principle to make a plan to leave an inheritance. 
And there's nothing at all wrong with you accumulating wealth and passing it down to a future generation. In fact, that's what God wants you to do with your abundance that is left over. In fact, the more financial security and the more power that you receive in your life by putting God first and accumulating wealth, the more effectively not only can you affect the world around you, but when your kids take over after you, think of the impact they can make if you were very financially responsible when you were alive. God doesn't want you just giving everything away. He says, put me first, provide for your family, bless other people out of your abundance. Notice not out of all of it, out of the abundance. Another whole principle, I don't have time to get into that. Bless other people out of your abundance because you can't not provide for your family to provide for somebody else's family. Mm. Now, I just want to just dive off into all this, but I better, I better not. I better get back on this. And... and when, when you do all this, I want you to start building for a future because your kids are coming after me. I don't want the work that I've started in you to stop when you pass from this life to the next. I want your kids to pick up the legacy and begin walking it out. Amen. I want the people that you've discipled to me, I want you to teach them my principles so when they get to the place that they can stand on their own two feet financially, I can use them to affect change around the world. Amen. This is good stuff this morning. Amen. In fact, the Bible says that a large inheritance is a legacy of a righteous life. That's out of Proverbs 13, 22. Like, I didn't know God wanted me to have a wealth-building plan in my life. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. I thought God wanted me to be poor. No, that's not the case. Well, I thought, I thought he wanted me to claim it and just be rich because I claimed it. No, that's also not biblical. That's taken it another whole step. Here's the deal. Put God first. Trust him. And watch how he begins to expand what he's entrusted to you. Now we're getting to point number five. And I'm bringing it to a close here. Point number five. The fifth step in God's financial plan is enjoying. Everybody say enjoying. Enjoy. Let's say that again. Enjoying. Enjoy. Anybody ready to enjoy life? Yeah. Praise God. It's summertime. I mean, it's, it's, it's time to get out and have some fun, right? It, it's time to go to Destin like half of y'all going to do during the middle of the summer. We'll miss you. God bless you. I'll get my son mowing the church grass and get all red and whatnot. But anyway, we'll, we'll pass on that one. But God wants us to enjoy life. God doesn't want your life to be a drudgery. In fact, the, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, you're blessed if the work that you do to earn a living is something that brings you enjoyment. You're blessed if that happens. Because God wants you to work in your passions. No, Monty, you're just talking about the way I serve at church. No, we teach you how to do that at church. So you can go find a place to invest yourself outside of the church that comes from your passions. Because when you're doing something you're passionate about, you can't not do it. And you never get burnt out because God just keeps uplifting you. And God just keeps giving you more and more fulfillment when you're serving and living and working out of your passions. But it's not God's will for you just to sit back under the weight of all this debt. I, I love the fact that there's this focus in, in our world right now about getting out of debt. Y'all, that's awesome. Get out of debt. Pay it down. Don't live on the credit cards. Do what you've got to do to be responsible. If you need some help with that, that's part of the job of the church is to teach you how to write a budget. We'll help you do it. I promise you, I don't want access to your bank account. I don't need to know exactly how much you make. It's none of my business. But if you need help writing a budget, I'd be honored to. But here's the deal. If you follow these five principles, if you follow the first four, 
you're going to begin to experience the enjoyment that God has for you. He wants us to use what we've earned to enjoy life. And here's the deal. He wants us to have fun. And for too many people, living for God just simply isn't fun. God. Anybody, let's be honest. Anybody just feel like a pressure on you? You just feel like there's just, it's all pushing down. You haven't walked into that abundant life that God has for you. And I don't want you to leave here today without it. And you're going to do like a chance for a fresh start after a finance sermon? Yeah, I am. Because if you can trust God in this small principle, heck, if you trust God with your eternity, trusting Him for your finances is easy. He doesn't want you to live under pressure. He wants you to have a fulfilled life. He wants you to feel that fun and that enjoyment. And the Bible says this in 1 Timothy 6, 17. God richly provides this. Y'all, you got to pay attention to this. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's in the Bible. God provides us everything so that we can enjoy life. I thought he provided so I could go work for him. No, he is going to provide for you so that you enjoy the life that you live. And notice this, out of all of these five steps, notice this is the last one, not the first. Here's what we mess up. We want to enjoy life and put God first later. But if we'll put God first... Matthew 6.33, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's the last principle, not the first, because God wants us to do things in the right order. He says, look, here's the deal. If you'll put me first by tithing, if you'll provide for those who depend on you, if you'll bless others, if you'll bless those who are in need, and if you'll build a legacy and you'll leave a lasting legacy, I'll give you the most enjoyable life you've ever imagined. You're not going to want for anything because you're my child and I don't want to see you stumble. Amen? You say, Monty, this all sounds good, but you may just be yanking my chain a little bit. Go to Philippians 4.19. And I can tell you this. My family and I live by faith every day. This was a choice that we made, that we're going to live by faith. We could have gone and worked an outside job when we came to plant the church, but we made a dedication. We said, we're not going to do this. God, because you called us, and if you call me to do this, somebody ought to hear me on this. If you call me to do this, you'll take care of my financial future. And I can tell you this. Yeah, there have been some days I didn't know when it was going to happen, but God never fails. You can tell by looking at me, I don't miss many meals. We've got a roof over our head. I've got four amazing kids. I've got an awesome wife. I've got an amazing church family. I love me some NOLA church. I'm just saying, y'all are awesome. God has blessed my life. He's blessed my life. He's filled me with so much just just relational wealth that I I can't even begin to tell you all the things He's blessed me with. And, And you say, Monty, why is that happening to you? Why isn't it happening to me? I can tell you this. We made a choice to follow God's financial plan. We made a choice long before we stepped out to believe him and follow him. We said, we're not going to try it another way because you see we have and we've hit the brick wall. So now, God, we're going to trust you and whatever you say, we're going to follow. And I promise you this, this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. It's not just for me. God's financial plan is for every one of y'all. Y'all, does that sound awesome? Praise God. Let me give you the next step, and then we're, we're going to stand, and we're going to get out of here. Next step is simply this. Trust Jesus as my provider and look to Him 
for my future. Trust Jesus as my provider and look to him as my future. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your, put your sermon notes down. Put your purses, your Bibles down. We're going to worship God one more time. We're going to close out this service. But I don't want to close any service without giving you an opportunity to take that step of faith and trust Jesus. So why don't we do this? Just to make it easier on everybody, why don't you close your eyes, bow your head, and just let's all just begin to pray and ask God to move in this place. Father, I pray that you would begin to speak to all of us. Let your spirit begin to speak into our situations. Let your spirit begin to speak into our circumstances. Lord, whatever you've planned for us, we know that you are trustworthy. So today, Lord, we're stepping out in faith and we're going to put you first in every aspect of our lives. We're going to put you first in our finances. We're going to put you first in our family. And we're going to trust you, Lord. We're asking that you would prove yourself to be faithful without anyone looking around. If you're here this morning and you want to take a step of faith, you just simply say, I'm going to trust Jesus in every part of my life. Why don't you slip your hand up in the air real quick? Thank you. Thank you. Y'all, this is awesome. This is so awesome. So if you raise your hand, you can put your hands down. And those of you that didn't raise your hand, y'all can pray this with me as well. Just simply say this. Say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you to be my provider. I trust you to be the Lord of my life. I trust you to be my God. I trust you to be everything that I need and so much more. So if you will give me your salvation, Lord, I dedicate every part of my life to you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Come into my life. Be my God. I ask all this, and I'm going to be quick to worship you, Jesus. Why don't we stand to our feet and clap our hands for what Jesus is doing in this place?